Welcome to the podcast, Joe. It's awesome to have you here. I love that we started with me on your podcast. That was kind of the first time we met. And now you're here on Emerging Excellence. So thanks so much for being here. So also tough to ask. So thank you very much. Really amazing conversation. And you are someone who really inspires me as a leader. You've nailed some pretty special projects, which we'll get into. Your journey's been incredible uh, along your career. And I wanted to kick things off with looking back on reflection. What does leadership mean to you? Leadership is a pretty big word. Um, it's pretty ambiguous sometimes. What is it for you looking back over your career? I would say that definition has definitely changed for me over the years, like what I thought a leader was and what I would say it is today, and particularly in terms of how my leadership has shown up. And I was talking to um, a friend the other day who said to me, leadership is about finding opportunities for others to be leaders. And that really struck me for me. And I realized how often I've done that in my career. And I, even as a young, like even as a teenager and someone in my early twenties would often provide opportunities for others to be leaders. And I, I wouldn't have labeled it like that at the time, but like looking back, I was like, oh, that's a common thread for me. And so that's what I would say now. And certainly the leaders in my life that I admire most do that, <laughs> you know, really prop up others to be leaders. And um, that's how they show their leadership and that's how they, you know, create the change that they want to do. So certainly that's what I would say now is is what I continue to aspire to to be able to do that in my own leadership. Such a great reframe. And I think leadership's an interesting one is when you're you haven't been a leader or you're kind of like looking up, looking up or aspiring to it, it can come across as, as one way. But then when this has been my experience, once I've found I've been in, in leadership roles, it's been much more challenging and, and a lot different to what I expected. Mm. Did you have any expectations before you took on some leadership opportunities that you thought it might be? Yeah, I think because leadership and being in leadership roles, particularly in the university context has always always had that aspiration to be a leader and I think that and I, I think I heard you talk about this in one of your podcasts it was about leadership's more than a title so I think I was very as a younger you know academic focused on the title you know I want that title and that would mean that I was a leader and so so yeah so that's been a, a shift for me I think in my own leadership journey is like, oh, it's not really about the title. It's about something deeper and more profound than that. Mm. Yeah. And did you do you remember a moment where you aspired to be a leader for the first time? Has it been something you've thought about since you were growing up? Take us back to you know when you were younger. Is it something? Did you expect to be Doctor Joe? Did you expect to be in an academic career? Yeah. Your ambitions when you started. Uh, I think. Um, uh, so my first first day at uni, uh, I was like, "This is my this is for me." Like, I really did have that profound kind of feeling as soon as I stepped into the tertiary environment that I wanted to get my PhD and I wanted to be an academic. And so, definitely, yeah, Doctor Joe was certainly an early kind of goal. And my dad had been doing his PhD, so, um when like when I was in like a late teenager early 20s he'd been doing his PhD so and I'm always been um bit of a daddy's girl so certainly was aspiring to be yeah an academic but I think before that as I said like for me I've always 
tried to find different opportunities to do projects or do something around, I guess, creating social change has been a big thing for me. So I think thinking back, mum and dad were really involved in like the local church and in um, making a difference in their community in Western Sydney that grew up in Campbelltown. And that was really kind of ingrained in me from the beginning. So everything I ever I wanted to do was always around how can I make this world a better place? How can I create change? So that in terms of me as a leader was certainly that kind of burning um, desire was to, to do something good. But I also always had this performance part of me. I loved being on stage um, constantly as a child making up plays and dances with my cousins and my sisters anyone who I could rope in to perform with me and so when I went to university and kind of discovered this drama form called community arts I was like hooked because it was like I could be a performer I could create performance I could direct and write and and also create kind of be voice you know have this art form be a voice for others so um and I guess that was always my drive within the university context too, was how can we collaborate with community to create change? And and that was originally through performance, but that's definitely developed as I've gone on through my career to kind of community work more broadly. That's amazing. I love how you've been able to combine something that you're passionate about, which is the performance and the arts with the academic side of things. I wouldn't really pick those two things together. So it's great you've been able to weave those passions in. And in just your sharing, you just reminded me, which I've never thought about before. When I was growing up, my parents were really involved with fundraising for our primary school. Mm, They put on this um, this big wine tasting every year and we'd have the wine delivered to our house and people would come up and collect it. And um, the the wine was named after, like, was named after St. Ignatius and I'm a private school St. Ignatius and there's this, you know, vineyard in, in the Clare Valley in South Australia that makes St. Ignatius wine and that's kind of how it all started. But I never really thought about they were building community and they were actually setting it up and I was in that environment for a young age. So, yeah, I want, it's funny those stories as a kid, how they actually influence your future and, and yeah, I just never thought about that. So, thank you. <laughs> there you go. Um so moving now to some of the work you've done most recently, and I feel like you've got this, I don't know if I call it a secret weapon, and you've got this like secret power. Maybe it's a superhero power. That's probably a good word for it. Like this knack for being able to create projects, have an idea happen, and then even get the funding and backing from the university. So most recently you've created the Agile program. Tell us a bit about that. How did that come about? What was your thinking? What is the Agile program at ACU? So, I mean, going back to that first part of your question about my secret weapon, I think that, I think performers and being an actor, you kind of have to have that, if you don't have that skill, then you don't perform. Like no one is going to come up to you and no one advertises acting or as a job. I mean, they do. I guess they do, but, I mean, somebody, but it's not really something you apply for. It really is something that you create yourself. And I remember back in university, you know, doing a play that my lecturer had put on and then me asking him, so what's the next play you're going to do? And he said, well, I was hoping one of you guys would do one. And then I was like, oh, you can do that. <laughs> and so then I created my own play and I started to kind of work more in the community. I was on the Central Coast at the time in New South Wales, so working in the Gosford community. So I think I'd always been driven by this kind of idea of if there's a gap, 
than just to fill it and just to create your just to create it yourself. That I uh, and that's been a kind of early early thing, and definitely while I was teaching as well. I saw, I was teaching out in um, Yass in New South Wales, which is a kind of regional town. And there was not that much opportunity for the young people to to do drama within the kind of community. It's a small community. And particularly in the younger, like in the year seven and eight. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just start an afternoon drama club. <laughs> we started this afternoon drama club and created this Shakespeare, you know, night called Shakespeare and a Sausage. And we had parents come and watch these little seven year, you know, year sevens, like create this performance. And um, so for me, I guess that's an early skill that really, you know, throughout my twenties, I was constantly finding these gaps and just creating things out of it. And I guess for Agile... And where it all came from is that, I mean, taking it kind of back maybe the year or so before when I was an academic and I'd been the kind of lecturer for ages and had my kids and I remember just like sitting in my office going, I want more, like I want to contribute, I want to be a leader. And then I was very stuck on the title and not really knowing what to do about it and um, not really knowing why I wasn't progressing. And that was a kind of around the time I got a coach, which we found out we shared a coach, Dean Kilby. And so it was Dean that kind of made me see that it wasn't all about me, <laughs> that he encouraged me to look at where are the needs in the university. So, and then how can you fulfill that need? So it was, you know, that was how I kind of got my first major lead. Oh, wasn't my first, but a kind of a role that I really wanted, which was the deputy head of our Blacktown campus which was a real community role. And out of that experience with that, you know, this opportunity came in student retention. And I don't really know why I was drawn to that role because it wasn't really something I'd thought of before. But I just liked this opportunity that I could kind of find out why our students were leaving or how could we kind of keep them here. Because I quite believe in ACU as an institution and as a really good teaching institution. So it was going in that role. And because I think I had this concept as well that what does the university need? So I approached it like that, you know, where are our gaps? And me and my colleague, John Marnie, looked at the data in student retention and had a look at, well, where were we leaving? Where, where were we losing students? And just looking purely at the data, it was out really in our high-performing students because ACU was kind of this placeholder university where students would have us as an option, but then if they got into Sydney Uni or QUT or Melbourne, then they would like go there. But as I said, I really believed in ACU and I was like, well, why, why wouldn't they stay here? We have great teachers. We have, you know, I really believe in the staff here. So I was like, why can't, how do we make them stay, you know, here at ACU? And the beauty, right, and this is like leadership as well, was Meg Stewart, who was my, is the deputy provost at the time, and she's now the provost, but she said to us, fail fast. She was like, just come up with something. We'll try it. We'll see whether it works. So it was like, like perfect for me, environment <laughs> for me to just come up with an idea to try. And Agile was really inspired by Western Sydney University's academy which is for leadership students and my PhD student my PhD supervisor um James Zavanatakis who is a real mentor and very good friend of mine now um 
had started the academy and so I'd kind of rang him up and said, hey, how do we start this leadership academy? Because that was what I, because I knew that had worked at Western Sydney. So that was the other thing was like, well, what's working in the market for these high-performing students? What's a similar institution look like? And that was when I said, well, and what does, what would a leadership academy look like at ACU? And we really needed to break down. It was, it was an easy sell to have our leadership academy at ACU. But it was also a bit difficult because we didn't want to seem to be elitist, you know, the Catholic kind of institution part of it about social justice and giving back to the community was like, we don't, we didn't want to be an elitist institution. So how could we create this elitist academy that was only for our high-performing students, but it not detract from the mission of the university? And that's how Agile was kind of born, which Agile stands for the Academy of Global Impact and Leadership Through Ethics, because it's about creating leaders that give back. And now I would say, yeah, we're creating leaders who know how to create other leaders as well. So that's that's how Agile, yeah, was born. Epic. That's amazing. And I really, I think that's a really important point around not coming across as elitist because I, I certainly I have a very strong personal belief that everyone can be a leader. Yeah. And I think often it's something that we um, are often tossing up with with our clients and discussing is, do we have it be, you know, an application program for people to come and participate in our leadership experiences? Do we tap people on the shoulder or do we make it open for everyone and kind of see who yeah. pops to the top? And it can be tricky because you can, there's so much leadership potential in each person. I think you know you need to have that vine and that motivation is really important. But often I think leaders come from places you don't expect. And also you can be a leader no matter, I think, what your personality, background, skill set is, mm-hmm. if you're driven to do that and develop those leadership skills. So, yeah, it's a really tricky balance to get right. In that, uh, yeah, like exactly like you said, make it a leader's but also make it open for people. Yeah. And I, I think we also come up against in Australia the talk copy syndrome which is uh, and this desire to kind of like you know, make sure people don't aren't uh, too up themselves or something and I think what what I eventually was saying to the university was like we already have at the university all these amazing programs for students who from lower CS backgrounds who who, who might be showing their leadership in different ways um, we have different pathways into the university we have all these great programs to enhance the learning and the well-being of these students, but we have a gap in our high-performing students. We don't have, didn't have much that acknowledged their um, academic prowess. And like, of course, academics isn't everything, but it is worth being, you know, they're worth being acknowledged for. So when we wanted to kind of say to those students, we acknowledge you, we see you, and we want to provide something for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and to kind of say this is what you would get that is unique at ACU that you wouldn't get at another institution. So I think sometimes we have to be okay <laughs> with, like if we're okay with providing specialised programs for, you know, lower CS or students who are struggling, if we're okay to do that and we've got to be okay to like acknowledge like what's missing for these students that could, you know, extend and, ex- you know, excel their leadership. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So you've got the data, you've gone, here's a gap, let's design a program. You've got permission, I think, in a sense, from leadership to say, 
go for it, try things. It's it's okay if we make mistakes, which is I think a really important foundation. You know, that gives you that. You know, oh, you trust me. It gives you that confidence. Yeah. How do you think about the program design going into it in that first year? I think. Oh, it was like massive in the first iteration. Like I was like, well, I did conferences. And I think that um, when I really looked down at, okay, what do we have, what do we, what I have time for and what can be achieved and within a, with like in a reasonable budget, we we designed it so that we would have inspiring um, speakers come and talk to the students. And this was 2022, like we were planning it in 2021. So we were still in lockdowns. We weren't really sure how the universe, like what on-campus activities would be allowed. So a lot of the first, you know, things that we developed were online. And it was, you know, one of the things that the academy do is this lunch with the vice chancellor. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. So we did that and we had students um, attend on each. So ACU has six campuses nationally. So we had students attend on campus um, and then we had the live streaming of the vice chancellor and him and me talking to each other about leadership and about ACU. And that was really well attended. And then the other kind of part of the program I wanted was kind of tense, ten, TEDx style talks. So um, we had, which were called Give Talks, so the Global global Impact of Value and Excellence Talks. So people, leaders who give back in their community. And our first speaker was Dr. Carl Krasinski, and he was amazing. So he was, he was great. Gave out his mobile number to all the students. Oh, talk like, and it's like, that's just like someone who's committed to his mission. Like he just mm. wants to make a difference. So even with, and uses his profile to do that. So he's, he's a great guy. Um, and we had alumni, great alumni, like Molly, Molly Clegg and oh, they, and her mate, and I'm really sorry, I forgot her name, but Jam, the label is their business that they created while they were at uni, which is a inclusive design, um, inclusive fashion label. And they, you know, perform, they, they make clothing for people with disabilities that are fashionable. It's amazing. So we had speakers like that speak to our students and, and then we approach yourselves, we aspire because I wanted something in the program that put, you know, kind of out the, you know, the money where our mouth was where we're saying, okay, we're going to create leaders. We want to give back to the community. And I knew about your work um, with organizations in creating kind of community style projects. So, you know, we approached, we aspire to create this kind of community program in second semester where students would create their own projects. And it's just been such an amazing kind of part of the program. It really filled it out where we have these amazing leaders kind of speaking about their leadership journey and then students having this opportunity to do that themselves. So good. And it's really shifted for me, I think, working with you and your students around around community. And I think often um, we go, and I've worked in university partnerships as, you know, for nearly five years at Swinburne University myself. And I think often we go to, oh, it's got to be like, we need to create this structured thing with the organization. But actually there's so much power in the everyday communities that we have around us. And one of the really great exercises I love to do with your students is actually create a map of all the different communities. And I've personally done that um, a number of times because it's, it's when I it helped me start power of engineering and help think about that. And it's always surprising how many communities where we've been involved in and how people, you know, just putting their hand up to say, I'm going to lead an initiative in my community. People rally, have rallied behind the students. And I've been absolutely blown away by some of the projects that they come up with. Uh, what have been any, any, any key projects that come to mind that 
great that you really enjoyed seeing the students. Uh, I I think that, I mean, I guess just to, you know, uh, to give it some context is that at ACU, all our students have to do a community engagement um, project. So every student at ACU has to do community engagement. And in the past, that's been very placement-based, as you say. So they volunteer at Vinnie's or they do tutoring, which is really amazing, valuable. But there was a move with ACU engagement to shift and to rediscover what community work could our students could do so that it wasn't all placement service, but it might be advocacy service. It might be research. It might be student projects. So it was a really nice little serendipitous kind of thing that ACU engagement were wanting to do student project style things and me coming along to them and saying, hey, can we make, we aspire an agile part, like, you know, count as student hours. Um, And so they were really happy to kind of pilot and see how it worked. So... Um, yeah, so it was the first first time I, I think, you never know in a big institution someone else would have done it again, but I think the first time that um, we'd kind of developed a, a structured program with our students that would help them develop their own community project. And what I've loved about what we've done is um, said to the students, you're already part of a community because I think sometimes we – when we talk about community engagement, we think we've got to take the students out of their life and put them into like another life that they don't understand. Or like there's this, I would say, white saviour complex about needing to like help others rather than I think a more powerful idea for the students is to say, hey, you're already part of a community. You might be struggling yourself with something how can you take maybe what you're struggling with or what someone close to you is struggling with and and create change around that? So really just looking into their own communities. And that's why I love that mapping project for students so that they can see they're already part of a community. Like community engagement isn't isn't like something that happens over there. (laughs) Like another world, it's like it's in your world. And I think that's what I've, the projects that I've, I mean, I've loved them all and I think, yeah, even the ones that haven't come off, like the students have really struggled. But I did quite like last year, um, one of the education students was a cricket, like had a part of a cricket club and he um, knew that there was issues with men's mental health, like generally in the community. So he put on a maidens for mental health day at his local cricket club and he it was huge att- attendance, like hundreds of people came and had conversations around men's mental health. And it was such a kind of, I feel like a simple idea, but a, such a powerful one. And he would have like a whole lot of difference to a lot of the people that came there, probably even just in putting on the event and in yeah. acknowledging and saying, yeah, some of us struggle with mental health. And the cricket club being this place where they can talk about it with each other in a kind of friendly, safe way. So I really like that project it's amazing yeah I remember him and he was working full-time yeah and studying full-time and supporting his family with his full like his full-time work income and I remember he came in for the drop-in sessions he'd missed the workshop he was like yeah. how am I going to fit this in and then he came up with that and absolutely nailed it and I think that's the fascinating thing is often leadership just takes someone going first and putting their hand up to go I'm going to do something and it's almost like like certainly this was my experience with power of engineering it was like people were just waiting for someone to go first and like yes I'm going to get behind that that's a great idea let's go with it and I feel like that's what happened with him 
Yeah. And it certainly, I was actually reading a student's reflections today and she developed, she did um, just, just something simple, but quite powerful, just, you know, went into Sydney CBD and gave out like lunch packs to the homeless. But mm. he was saying that she wanted, her goal was to have 10 volunteers help her. She ended up with 30 volunteers helping her, you know, give out these packs and they ended up feeding 53 people or something was her, you know, which was above her goal. But what she was saying, the reflections that afterwards she had a lot of the volunteers come up to her and say, thank you for providing me with this opportunity. And I was like, it's, that's the part we sometimes forget in this community work too, that it does have an impact on the people who are kind of, you know, in, in that volunteer role as well. And that they, might not have done anything like that before if, you know, Ella hadn't have created this opportunity. So she was not a, you know, she had, she had created an opportunity and allowed others to follow, you know, to show some leadership as well. So she was like, you know, she created this kind of psychological, you know, thing as well that she had. amazing. Yeah. And it goes back to your very first point at the beginning of our conversation around it's creating that leadership in others and such a simple thing. But it really, I think that's what's amazing when people do build their teams and get others involved is it provides that other that opportunity for other people to step up, which is fantastic. Yeah. And Looking like, back, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I think, you know, acknowledging you and me as well, <laughs> that creating this opportunity for our students to, to do this as well, like that, it was, I mean, for us, it was a bit of a risk and it's like, I don't know, um, let's give it a go. But some of the best stories I've liked is like you were sharing the other day about another student, Julia, who'd created this meetup, you know, meetups at a local church and an amazing project. But what I liked about when you were sharing the story was this, you know, someone at the church had said to her, if you go to this sandwich place, they might donate some food for you. And she sat in the cafe for two hours to get up the courage to ask. And I, I'm, I'm like, we're providing opportunities for our students to be uncomfortable, you know, and to really step up and know who they are. And so often with our young people, I mean, we talk about young people's mental health crisis and the need for more psychological help, which is so very, very true. But I also think there is something around our expectations for our young people has lowered and I wonder whether if we had more opportunities for our students to be uncomfortable and needing to step out and try something and fail, or in this case to succeed, you know, the, the guy in the cafe said, hey, of course, and donated, you know, food. But yeah, this, I, I feel like that's what we're, because often, I mean, I know in a lot of the reflections and I know you know this too from talking to the students, a lot of them, you know, after that first workshop that they have with you guys where they're like, oh, my gosh, I have to create my own project, even though that's all in the material when they sign up. <laughs> they don't really understand the implication of that until they do that first workshop and then they're told, oh, you are going to create a project and we don't care how small it is. We don't even care if you don't complete it. We just want you to give it a go and we're going to help you. Even that is like, it's just so confronting for them and I mean just it's just amazing that they even start and they try and yeah I think more we need more opportunities for those for our young people I think it would make a difference 
completely agree. And it was so um, incredible talking to Julia and it was, I didn't expect at all that she would say what she said. And yeah. uh, it just makes it all worthwhile, all those hard conversations you have, all those experiments. And uh, I just, I cracked up when I, I just asked her the question, um, you know, how has this experience been for you? And she said, it's been so hard. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is it going to say next? She's like, and it's been the best thing I've ever done. And I, and it was so fascinating because she said how she really struggled. She said, she literally said, you know, I've, um, I've never cried so much in my life before because I was so confronted and I was so out of my comfort zone. And she goes, like, I'm literally a different person and it's completely changed my life. I know myself. She knows herself as a leader. And I think that's a fundamental shift for her in her being. And she works, she also works full time and is a full time student and did this project. And it, through through just even just talking to people and sharing, she's volunteered at the Greek festival and she was saying how uh, that's something she would never do. She she was so scared to talk to strangers and it's just incredible. And it's just one of those, it's it's such a, a small aha, but it's a life-changing aha. Yeah. And um, it's just incredible that they've really taken it on. So I guess on reflections, there's been two years now doing Adnal, working with, with students in this specific way. I guess what have been the standout lessons that have enabled success for you? And then what would you recommend if other people are wanting to start this journey uh, in creating something for high performers in their organisation? I think, I mean, a key, a key part of it has been recognising the people around me in my own community as well, actually, that I've drawn on to deliver on Agile. So I was all like just doing a lot of community work, you know, for 25 years, mainly in Western Sydney, but I'd had a lot of people that I knew who were doing great stuff. So calling on them and saying, hey, or asking for advice. So I definitely think that um, a key kind of part of my the success has been me having no ego about it as well and being able to ask for help and advice and what do you think of this and being okay to ask advice from my supervisors as well. And I think I was actually talking about this to a colleague before because <laughs> we have a really great supervisor and he's but he's very critical and it's been awesome for me because you know I say to Chris these are my ideas and like wait for the like it's kind of being okay and also being okay with feedback coming back to going oh, I don't think that's quite it like try this so I would say a key part of my success is that like recognizing who's in my own community and my own networks and drawing on their expertise so I guess that's a that would be a suggestion for people going forward um what was your question again? What are the keys? Like, yeah, well, it's been, I, you know, you've had some great success. What are your reflections yeah. looking back? What advice would you have around other people? Because, and just to touch on that too, you know, we've had, they have 300% return on investment yeah. or 32% if I try to remember the numbers from my head. Um, you've had, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing to see from an experiment and having yeah. it, you know, and I, I, I really take that on um, when we're creating new things, just trying to bring that experiment mindset. Um, so you've had some great results. You've had yeah. retention of your... Yeah, of your, yeah. Well, like, uh, yeah. We, halved, we halved attrition in the first year in our high-performing students. So um, that was amazing. And then we did it again this year and, and then some. So, it, you know, the, the goal was like a 0.5% in retention. And I was even told, like, even if 
you just kept the rate the same because it was a steady drop. You know, it was like a <laughs> down. So even even if we just stopped it, it would have been a, seen as a success. But the fact that we halved attrition, <laughs> and I think that I guess what okay, so what we so we halved attrition and we did it again, and I think that. A huge success. I think one of the things and the reasons why it worked as well is that we we didn't we we challenged the assumptions that we had about ACU students. So that was and that's definitely been a learning that I've tried to encourage in other directorates and the other kind of collaborators I have is that we have a lot of assumptions about who our students are, and also a lot of assumptions about what works with students, and that sometimes we've got to challenge that bias and step back a bit and say well like how do yeah what can we do differently that might kind of create a create you know fill a gap how can we kind of do things differently I think as well in terms of a tertiary institution those of you working tertiary no we can be very siloed so we have very specific faculties we have directorates so we have these people deal with orientation these people deal with student life these people are facilities or these and i think definitely the success of agile was because we collaborated and we drew on all of those people and we said we want to create this project for everyone we want this to be a success for everyone and so we drew on those collaborators to kind of come in and at that and it, I'm developing a new project next year for international students and it is a tricky thing because you don't want to look like you're stepping on other people's toes or criticizing what they're doing so that would be a learning for me is I um, had to practice reframing how I talk to other people to say you know what you're doing is great but let me enhance what you do or see me mm-hmm. someone you can enhance and I always say, you're the expert, you know, you're the expert that's been working in orientation for years, but how can my program fit into that and enhance it? Or, you know, what's something you've always wanted to do with international students? How about you let me and my, you know, role assist you in that? So, yeah, you, it's been a, you know, interesting <laughs> way to negotiate and show up with people. So that has been definitely a success. And, um yeah, so challenging assumptions, finding the gaps, and I think as well acknowledging that students come with, you know, what we would call intersectionality, or we all have different um, needs. So, we, so those two students that we talked about, they work full time and they studied full time, and they're a carer. Now that doesn't come up in our statistics, right? So maybe the full time, you know, whether students do work would come up in our statistics, but how much work they do and what their job is and why they have to work full-time doesn't come up in our statistics. So we have to acknowledge that our students might be carers or they might have a disability that they might not want to disclose or they have to be home at 3.30 every day to pick up their kids, their brothers and sisters from school because their parents can't. Those kind of things don't come up in statistics. So it's it's always providing you know, making sure we don't have assumptions about who our students are. I think. What was that example? I think, yeah, that's amazing because, yeah, you're right. Like this, and even one of the students that we were talking about, they were doing night shift as well. You know, that's not going to come up. <laughs> they're doing night shift and they're probably like squeezing in uni on the edges and sleeping during the day and they're sleeping during the day because they're doing night shift, not because they're, uh, uh, you know, they're lazy. Um, but, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
it's like reading between those lines. Oh, so powerful. There's so much. I feel like there's so much more that we could we could dive in and chat. Um, gosh, just to wrap things up. Any other, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about advice for other people wanting to start these programs, um, getting key stakeholders on board. Any any final thoughts on on agile, your leadership journey uh, so far? I feel like so far because there's so much more to come. Yeah, I I think in terms of my own leadership journey. I mean, I have said it before, but definitely moving away from wanting a title and changing it to how can I contribute? And I have felt like in this role in particular, um, which is, yeah, my role is the academic leader, student success is the title, but I've had the opportunity to draw on my research. My PhD research was in, which is in community cultural development my experience as a lecturer here at university, you know, 14 years of tertiary education and lecturing students. So I understand that context. Um, and I've also, I think I have this innate ability as well to kind of like sit back and see patterns and see connections between different things. And um, I feel like in that role, this role, I can do that. And the other thing that, so I would kind of, yeah, so it was another leader at ACU that said to me, you're a connector. And I was like, oh, yeah, I quite like that idea, like being able to find connections between people that wouldn't ordinarily have met together. And the other term someone talked to me about was I had this crazy idea about doing another PhD. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, um, you know, talked about this concept in health in particular, in public health in particular, called boundary spanners. So boundary spanners are the people that kind of sit between maybe two two institutions or two silos and they kind of find the way for those to connect. So I think that's how I've kind of began to frame myself and my own leadership as a someone who connects others, someone who's a boundary spanner and finds new ways of creating solutions to problems. Um, and I'm just very grateful that I've had the opportunity to, and sometimes I forget <laughs> what a unique opportunity I have to make a difference and um so yeah i think i think all of us as leaders have to sometimes you know just sit back and really acknowledge yourself for what you meet manage to create and the differences that you make that you might not even know about you know so something like a policy or you know it can really make a difference to students and or you know whatever context you're in without you really realizing it and that's a perfect note to end this podcast on. If you're a leader out there listening, big thank you. I feel like leaders don't get thanked enough and there's so much unseen work that happens and it's been such a privilege to partner with you. Thank you for trusting us and such a delight to see the impact that you're having with students and the success stories as well. So thank you, Joe, for your leadership and creating this and being so open to discover your own leadership, mm. unique abilities, your own superpowers, and also you know, invite that challenge of others and really reframe those assumptions for students. So you're amazing. Thank you. And thank you all leaders who are out there listening to this podcast. You're awesome. It's been fantastic to chat with you, Joe. We really appreciate you taking the time to come and say hi. No worries. Thanks, Felicity, and all the We Aspire team. You're amazing. Love you. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Welcome back to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury. Today on the show, we are talking things all...
Welcome back to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury. Today on the show, we're talking retention of top talent, developing leaders, even if they don't have the time, and how to create change in large organizations. And it's not what you might think. Our guest today has been successful in halving attrition for top talent students at ACU and has been discovering her own leadership along the way. Keep listening along for these nuggets. How to develop a leadership program for top talent that's inclusive and not elitist. Negotiating and getting a yes from lots of key stakeholders in a large organization to create change. And we ask the big questions like, have we lowered our expectations of students and their resilience? Today, we are speaking with the incredible Dr. Joanna Winchester, who is a leader in tertiary education. She's a trained teacher and advocate for leadership that creates social change. Jo is currently the academic lead for student success at Australian Catholic University and works alongside community organizations, schools, businesses, and entrepreneurs to rediscover the role of universities and of education in the world today. Super excited to have this conversation. Welcome, Jo. 